Bhaktivedanta Swami Nityanamane Namaste Sarasvati Deve Gauravani Bhattarani Nivasesa Sinivadi Paskachade Satarani Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Uttapada Kamalam Shri Gurun Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raghunatam Vikamstam Sajivam Sadvoitam Sadvadutam Parijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Devam Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Radha Shri Vishakam Vikamscha Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya September 14, 2015, Spike Class from Hilo, Hawaii. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 3, Chapter 6, Creation of the Universal Form, Text 1. Vishu Uvacha. Vishu Uvacha. Satinam Asamechasa. Prasupta loka tantranam. Prasupta Gatimishwara. Translation and purport by Srila Prabhupada. The Rishi Maitreya said, The Lord thus heard about the suspension of the progressive creative functions of the universe due to the non combination of his potencies such as the Mahatattva. Purport, there is nothing wanting in the creation of the Lord. All the potencies are there in a dormant state, but unless they are combined by the will of the Lord, nothing can progress. The suspended progressive work of creation can only be revived by the direction of the Lord. Rishya Uvacha iti ta sam swashaktinam satinam asamechisa prashupta lokatantrana nishamya Gatimishwara, the Rishi Maitreya said, The Lord thus heard about the suspension of the progressive creative functions of the universe due to the non-combination of his potencies, such as the Mahatattva. I think it'd be useful to look at Vishnachakavati Thakur's commentary on this verse. He says, The sixth chapter describes how, when the Paramatma enters, the universal form appears along with the elements. The Adibhuta, Adiyatma, Adidaiva aspects in his body are described. The elements such as Mahatattva are called the Lord Shakti, Swa Shaktinam, because they are the effect of his Maya Shakti. Seeing Nisamyam, the condition of activities for creation in a sleeping state, with a state of unmixed elements, the Lord supporting this energy, Prakriti, whose identity becomes known by time, that's explained in the next verse, entered into it. Entering while holding Prakriti means that first he entered the elements by his energy causing cohesion and then after a thousand years he entered the elements as Paramatma. The 23 elements are Mahatattva, Ahankara, the five ton matras, five gross elements and seven senses. The Mula Prakriti is unchanged. Transformations of Prakriti are seven, Mahatattva, Ahankara and five ton matras, which further transform into 16, five gross elements and 11 senses. Prakriti remains separate, and Purusha does not transform. Having created the universe, the Lord entered it. 
Taitariya Upanishad 2.6. So this verse is referring to the different aspects of creation. As we've discussed before, there's the first creation and the second creation. The first creation is the agitation by time in the form of the Lord's glance of the pradhan, the unmanifested, the uncombined. And then that is combined by the will of the Lord, although he remains separate as the Purusha from Prakriti, into the three modes of material nature, but that has to be further combined by his action as Garbhadakshai Vishnu, who manifests Lord Brahma and the demigods, and further combined then in its various forms as Padamatma or Kshiradakshai Vishnu, who then empowers the demigods to create the various distinct forms. So we have the the great creation of the great elements in Prakriti. We have the secondary creation, the planets, uh, Lord Brahma, the demigods, and then we have a final manifestation of the demigods who manifest all the different distinct species of life. And, of course, things even progress down to the point where we have on this planet, much later, Maharaj Prithu, who establishes the mountains and villages and organizes society. So these creations are going on in various stages, just like uh, any of us do in our own life. If we want a home, so first we buy a property, and the property is just trees or it's just a field, and uh, we combine and bring in various elements we bring in raw materials, glass and wood and nails and so forth. And then those are combined into rooms and doors and sinks and all these things. And then we move into the house and we decorate it. We put curtains on the walls. We cook things in the kitchen. And, you know, the, the creation goes on until you say, okay, now this is, this is my house. I live in it. And, and this process of creation goes on in a, in a subtle form also within our own lives when uh, a baby is born its subtle body of course has has some scars from previous lives but basically Prabhupada talks about children as a blank slate or a soft dough that can be molded in any way one of the purposes of death and rebirth (coughs) is to facilitate this molding a, a fresh start right many of us would like a fresh start sometimes so Then the child is gathering raw materials. They're gathering different impressions through their senses. And then as they get a little older, they combine these impressions. Oh, this is my mother, this is my father, that's a car, that's a dog. And these things start to coalesce. And then sometime around puberty, we start taking all these impressions and all these raw materials that we've received in our childhood, and we start building our own worldview, so to speak, our own paradigm of what is reality, what do things mean. And as we we build this gradually, then as we enter adulthood, we make our paradigm our own in in a symbolic way. It's, It's as if we've gathered raw materials on the subtle platform in childhood, then we've built a subtle house in puberty, and then as adults, we figuratively move into that house, we make it our own, we we take our own philosophy of life, our own conception of life. 
So this is the, the basic principle of creation, whether it's happening on a cosmic scale with the great Mahavishnu, whether it's happening on a scale of a country, a home, or even our conceptions about reality. They all proceed in this fashion. But then again, of course, there's destruction, butva, butva, praliate. So there's a cycle of creation and destruction that happens in the material world. And this cycle of creation and destruction is necessary on many levels. It's explained in the fifth canto that this cycle takes place, the destructive cycle takes place to the frustration of the Lord that the living entities have not used the creation properly. And this is, it happens on all levels. If somebody's misusing the gifts that we've given them, then we, we take them away. And it's also happening in this cycle to fulfill, as we've talked about many times before, to fulfill all of our desires, that not all of our desires can be fulfilled in one particular body. And we get different bodies and different situations for the fulfillment of our desires. And also the cycle takes place to facilitate our liberation. Because at at a new birth, especially human or demigod birth, we get this blank slate where we can create again and form a new worldview. And we can include the Lord in that worldview. And eventually, if we build up the Sukriti and we engage in Bhakti, eventually we can have a birth where... Uh, so eventually we can have a birth where what we're building up is our God consciousness and to the point that we develop love of God and we're not hampered anymore by the samskaras from previous lives that they're, in, in one sense, they're, they're not available to us on a conscious level and therefore they're, the impediments that they would provide are no longer there. So Prabhupada makes the point here that there's nothing wanting in the creation of the Lord. Everything is there, at least in a dormant state. So everything is there. Everything is there on the macrocosmic scale. Everything is there on the planetary scale. And everything is there in our own life. And this is on the level of both material and spiritual. The Ishapanishad very much makes this point. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnapurnadudachate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vasishate Ishiva Shamidam Sarvam Dat Kinsha Jigatam Jigat. Everything is there and everything is owned by the Lord, and it's a question of using things properly to realize that completeness. Now, unfortunately, most of us conditioned souls don't experience life like this. We don't experience that there's a complete arrangement for ourselves materially and spiritually. We don't experience these cycles of creation and destruction as being beneficent and and being helpful and being complete. Generally, we don't perceive them that way. Generally, we perceive these creation and destruction cycles as terrifying and as impeding what our complete vision is for our life. And we don't generally see our life materially or spiritually as being complete. Prabhupada said there's nothing wanting, but generally we feel that there is something wanting. We feel so many lacks in our life. On a material level, we feel so many lacks. There, there may be something in our physical health that's not working. Some of us perhaps have many things in our physical health that's not working. When um, I was traveling with my grandson Vikram, he broke his toe 
when we took him into an emergency urgent care center, there was a woman in the bed next to us who had fallen and hit her head, and she was explaining all of the medications she was taking for all of her various diseases, and it was, it was overwhelming. I mean, she didn't look much older than 50 or 60, and, and the, the list of what was wrong with her, it, it, was, it, was, it was just kind of shocking. So many of us feel incomplete in our health in one way or in many ways. We may feel incomplete in our relationships. Maybe we want to be married and we're not married. Or maybe we want children and we don't have children. Or maybe the person we've married or the children we have are insufficient in so many ways. Or our parents or our in-laws are insufficient in so many ways. So it could be our relationships. Perhaps our job doesn't feel complete and satisfying. We're frustrated in our job. We're bored or our education or our living facility. Maybe we don't have the kind of furniture we want. Maybe we're in a bad area. Maybe the weather is, is very inconvenient or the government is very difficult. So we, we have all these senses of insufficiency on a material level. We don't have enough money. I, I was reading a, something from one devotee a few weeks ago how you know, I'm always poor and, and I never have enough money and, and why am I in this situation? So this is, everyone is, is expressing some lack practically. Well, not everyone, but in general, the conditioned souls are expressing some lack and they see this force of, of time and the movement in time as an enemy. And in fact, Krishna says like this, I am time, Kalos me, I am time, the destroyer of the worlds and that things are being combined and uncombined in ways that simply frustrate us. You know, and, this. and uh, frankly, we often feel this way on a spiritual level also. So we may feel that spiritually, and not only materially, our body, our mind, our relationships, our job, our, our living facility is incomplete, but we may feel this way spiritually, that, well, if, if only I, I hadn't gotten married you know, then my spiritual life could be complete. If only I could get married, then my spiritual life would be complete. I hear both of these frequently. You know, if only I didn't have children, if only I did have children, then my spiritual life would be complete. If only I had a different job, my spiritual life would be complete. If only my health was good, if only I had money. All the same things that people see as incomplete for their sense gratification, people also see as incomplete for their spiritual life. It, it's almost an identical list. If you, if you make the list of people's feeling of lack on the material level, and then if you make a list of the things that people say are impeding their spiritual life, the list is, is practically speaking, identical. And in many ways, I think those who take up spiritual life simply transfer this, I don't know how to say it nicely, this lust, anger, and greed that is trividam narakasya dam dvaranasana this lust, anger, and greed that we have to try to become complete materially, we simply transfer it to the spiritual, and instead of saying, if, if I had this, or I didn't have this, or this was like this, then I would be materially happy, we say, if I had this, didn't have this, if this was changed, then I'd be happy spiritually. We put the fault on the external arrangement, and we don't put the fault in our own consciousness. However, the Bhagavatam is telling us that even the external arrangement is the body of the Lord. All these sections in the Bhagavatam, I mean, there's a lot about the universal form. 
and we may wonder, well, what's it doing here? Why is there so much about the universal form? And Srila Prabhupada and the Acharyas, they explain that without understanding these first nine cantos of the Bhagavatam, one cannot understand Krishna's Vrindavan Leela. Of course, Krishna, the person, is there in the Bhagavatam. In fact, he appears very early in the first canto of the Bhagavatam, particularly Krishna in Dwarka and Hastinapur is appearing in the first canto of the Bhagavatam. Krishna's personal incarnations, thus avatar and, and more, are there. But very quickly we go into the aspects of material creation and how this world is the Lord's body and that everything in this world is, is really there in a perfect and complete way if we choose to see it that way. And I'd, I'd like to turn now to Jiva Goswami's explanation of this verse. He actually gives an explanation of the first three verses of this chapter. And he says that we could see the body as just some hallucination. And if, if we see like that, then we would say that nothing really exists, that neither the body nor the elements the body is made out of, nor the world really exist. But then he says, referencing a Bhagavatam 5.12.9, that he says, even the gross and even the subtle elements, they're really the paramatma itself. The real thing is the paramatma. That the elements are unable to create themselves. That because the Lord enters into prakriti and enters into all the other elements with his creative energy and awakens the karma of the living entities, therefore everything exists. Jiva Goswami says, all we are seeing in the material world is a transformation of a pradhan, and the Lord is the unit which has these parts within it. It shows that since the material world is the body of the Lord, it cannot be a false illusion. So we have the group of philosophers who say, well, because we feel so unsatisfied on every level in this world, therefore it must be false. But our conclusion is that our lack of a sense of completeness is due to not seeing everything as the body of the Lord. That as soon as we see everything as the body of the Lord, as soon as we see the Lord's potency in everything, then we experience that sense of completeness. Then we see that there's nothing lacking. As Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati used to say, the only thing lacking is Krishna consciousness. The only thing lacking is our awareness. Now, of course, we should try, I make this point many times, we should try to have our, the elements of our life favorable to awakening this consciousness, but ultimately awakening this consciousness is not dependent on anything external. Because this consciousness of the Lord's body, of the universe as the Lord's body, and this consciousness of the Lord everywhere and the complete nature of everything is our natural consciousness. It is already within us. Uh, it, it, is, it is a natural, our natural state. It is not something, as Rupa Goswami explains, to be achieved from some other source. It is already within us. So it is not something that comes about by an external arrangement. Of course, certain external arrangements are favorable going to the Holy Dom, having an altar in one's house, engaging in the processes of bhakti. Uh, they are favorable because these are all the things that one who has an awakened consciousness naturally does. If someone has an awakened consciousness, they chant the holy name of the Lord, 
They offer their food to the Lord. They go to the Holy Dham. They associate with sadhus. These are the symptoms of them seeing everything as related to the Lord. And therefore, if we engage in those things that the awakened souls do, then we also will tend to awaken our own consciousness. So this is how we should live our lives, seeing that really there is a complete arrangement. It's a changing of the filter of, or the paradigm, seeing that well, everything is already complete. Even the so-called reverses and the so-called difficulties are really a complete arrangement. Either they're a complete arrangement for, for fulfilling my karma, my destiny, my desires. So then the conclusion is that I have foolish desires. You know, or they're a complete arrangement for fulfilling my spiritual awakening. And factually, they are both. Even the difficulties in life, even the destructions in life. And like Katokachats, he, he died on the battlefield to save Arjuna and to be released from that horrible body, frankly. I'm just studying now the first canto about Maharaj Prickett and how the, he understood that Shringi's curse upon him was the Lord's mercy. And Srila Prabhupada extensively describes in those purports that the Lord saw that Maharaj Parikshit was becoming materially entangled in the course of his service of running the world, that by having a family and a kingdom as a service, as a service to the Lord, that it had entangled him, that he, had, he, he was not doing it properly was not it was not useful for him anymore it was no longer the service that the Lord wanted him to do so how is he going to release him from that service in such a way that he could not be criticized right? if he just walked away from that service people would criticize so the Lord arranged that he would be cursed and this was a way for him to move on to his next facility to move on to his next area without blame and to hear the Bhagavatam so although on the external level it appeared that some lack and some trouble had been created, actually it was not so. It was a great blessing of the Lord. And such is true whether we have a home or homeless or a spouse or we are single or our spouse is congenial or not congenial or we have children or not or our children are healthy or severely handicapped, our body is healthy or handicapped. We're fabulously rich or we're devastatingly poor. All of these situations, whether we're in the Holy Dom surrounded by devotees or we're in a labor camp in Siberia surrounded by criminals, all of these situations are really the perfect and complete arrangement of the Lord, both for the fulfillment of our material desires through karma and for the facilitating our dependence on Him. So it's a question of changing our vision. The materialistic persons, especially in the lower modes, they focus on what's missing for their happiness. They're basically unhappy, and they blame their unhappiness on others. And they blame their unhappiness on externals, and their main focus of consciousness is uh, anger and frustration, lamentation, so chitikanshiti. If only I had this, why don't I have that? It's this person's fault, it's that person's fault, it's God's fault. It's, you know. 
So the higher modes one develops gratitude and the higher aspects of passion and the mode of goodness one develops gratitude for what one has. The Lord is so kind. And at the higher level one sees that whatever is happening to me is perfectly arranged for me both the so-called good and the so-called bad as Krishna Das Kaviraj says our conceptions of good and bad are illusory. Everything is good from a spiritual perspective. And if we have a desire for spiritual life, then Krishna is arranging our life perfectly to fulfill that desire. Why wouldn't he? If Krishna arranges our life perfectly to fulfill our foolish and harmful material desires, why wouldn't he arrange our life perfectly to fulfill our good and beneficial spiritual desires? Well, of course he will. Of course he will. I mean, the parents facilitate the children getting useless toys. Isn't that a fact? Unless parents are completely poverty-stricken, they will facilitate their children getting toys that have no particular value except for the children uh, that, that they want them. So if the child wants to get a good education, will the parents not facilitate it? If the child says, you know, I want to learn mathematics... Will any good parents say, no, we're not going to send you to school? No good parent will do that. So if we say to Krishna, oh, I want this material desire, everything is completely, he's taking personal trouble here. He's, He's doing it personally. He is entering into the cosmos. Well, the cosmos is his own body to facilitate, like Govardhan, with his own body, he's facilitating the leelas of the Lord in Vrindavan. And the Lord, with the universal form as his body, he's allowing all the living entities to play on and in his body. Just like, again, a parent. So here we have a, one of the grandchildren here is two years old, and he'll, he'll climb on his father's body as if his father's body was a piece of playground equipment. So we are all doing that in the universal body of the Lord. We are climbing on it, playing on it, as if it's our playground. Not even aware that it's the Lord's body. So if he's willing to sacrifice that much to facilitate us in our foolish hallucinations, then why do we think that he will not do so for spiritual life? So one who comes to bhakti sees everything is perfect and tries to understand the perfection in it rather than looking for the lacks. How is my life already perfect? How do I already have everything I need for spiritual life? How can I use what I have, what kind of body I have, what kind of mind I have, what relationships I have, what things I have? How can I I understand them? How can I interpret them? such that I will see that in what way is it favorable. Like Srila Prabhupada uh, had an arranged marriage, and soon after his marriage, he decided that although his wife was very nice by many standards, that she wasn't really what he wanted. And so without telling his father, he started arranging to take a second wife. In those days, polygamy was legal. Polygamy is still legal in India for Muslims, but not for Hindus, which is why uh, the famous movie star Hema Malini, when she became 
someone's second wife, they had to officially convert to Islam in order to have that marriage. Anyway, polygamy used to be legal for everyone in India, and so Srila Prabhupada started negotiating with the girl's father to take her as a second wife. And then his father heard about what was going on, and his father came to him and said, why do you want a second wife? And he said, well, my first wife isn't really what I had in mind. And his father said, well, that would be good for you. He said, it will help you to become renounced at the proper time. And indeed, that was what happened. The Prabhupada's impetus, as he describes it, for renunciation was the unpalatable behavior of his wife. So these things can be favorable for Krishna consciousness. A wonderful wife can be favorable. A difficult wife can be favorable. A healthy body can be favorable. A sick body can be favorable. Wealth can be favorable. Middle class can be favorable. Poverty can be favorable. It depends how you look at it. And all of these things can be unfavorable depending on how we look at it. Being in Vrindavan can be unfavorable if one is committing offenses to Vrindavan. It, It really depends Things are not intrinsically favorable or unfavorable. It's just just not like that. It's how we see them. It's how we use them. It's what we do with them. So Krishna consciousness is turning our consciousness from being external to being internal. We talked the other day about getting this internal vision, this internal mind. That doesn't mean that everything's favorable from an illusioned perspective, from a perspective of illusion than being poverty-stricken and having a spouse you don't like are certainly bad things in terms of one's sense enjoyment. But sense enjoyment itself is a bad thing. So what's good for sense enjoyment may factually be a bad thing. Prabhupada talks about not increasing the fever. (laughs) Prabhupada tells the story of a wealthy woman who had a servant, and both the woman and her servant were ill. So the doctor came, this is in the old days when doctors would come to the home, the doctor came, examined both of them, and he told the wealthy woman she had a very slight fever and the servant had a very high fever. And the wealthy woman was envious and saying, how can my servant have a higher fever than I have? So much of what we think is good in this material world is really just increasing our fever of material attachment. And so from an ultimate perspective, it may not be good at all. So this is the view of the devotee and one of the many purposes for these verses in the Bhagavatam. That in order for us to become attached to Krishna, in order for us to be absorbed in the spiritual, we have to start with this vision, with this filter. That this world, this universe, it's the body of the Lord. Everything I'm dealing with is the Lord through his energies. And therefore it is all good and beneficial from every perspective. It is the, the work, the manifestation, simply and only of love. It is all perfect. And it is a question for me to understand. It's, this is for me, my job is to understand how to take the various situations I'm in in my life from minute to minute and connect them with Krishna. To thank Krishna. To offer more obeisances to Krishna, whether it's good or bad. Krishna, you've given me millions of dollars. Thank you, Krishna. You uh, have me homeless. Thank you. 
Krishna had given me the perfect spouse as a partner in my spiritual life. Thank you, Krishna, you've given me a crazy person as a spouse. Thank you. So this is our, to see that. that that's our job. And nobody can do that for us. People can guide us, people can instruct us, people can set an example for us, but that is our business. That is our desire. How do I want to interpret my life? And when we interpret our life wrongly, we cause our own unhappiness. Our unhappiness is not caused by our disease and our our poverty and our family and our nation and our economic system, our unhappiness is caused from our view of these things. And just like our happiness is not caused by these things. You can be in the perfect country with the perfect government and the perfect family and, and still we're not going to be that's not going to be the cause of happiness because it is all external. And it, without relation to Krishna it is all a hallucination. So thank you very much. Questions, comments He's not able to ask himself. You just typed it in. I'll read it to you. It's typed on Skype. Um, why external changes of Varnashram Dharma are suggested if everything is Pornam? Well, the arrangement of the Lord as Varnashram is also part of his complete creation. In fact, the Varnashram system is described as the different limbs of the universal body. So the brahmacharis are compared to the legs, the grahastas to the stomach, the vanaprastas to the arms, the sannyasis to the head. Similarly with the varnas, the sudras are compared to the legs, the vaishas to the stomach, satriyas to the arms, and the brahmanas to the head. So either the varnas and the ashrams, the varnas are our means of livelihood, and the ashrams are our movement through the life cycle. And the varna is connected to the grahasta phase of the life cycle. There's no occupation in the brahmachari, vanaprasta, or sannyas ashrams. And this is part of the complete creation of the Lord. This cycle, what we're reading about here in the Bhagavatam, is this cycle of creation and destruction, creation and destruction. So that's happening in our lives also. In our lives, first we're learning as students, then we're youthful, we're uh, procreating, which is an interesting word in English, procreation. We're procreating and we're getting our resources and increasing the resources of the earth and sharing them. Then we're retiring and then we're preparing for death. So this is our creation and destruction cycle in our own lives, just like the seasons, spring, summer, fall, and winter. So the ashrams correspond to the spring, summer, fall, and winter of the plants in the natural world. And this creation cycle is also complete, and it's meant to bring the living entity to God consciousness. So the the system of ashram takes the natural life cycle, the natural flow of the seasons, the natural flow of, of the modes and the uh, datus, etc., in the body and the mind, and connects it with Krishna. Right now you're a student, you're learning, connect that with Krishna. Right now you want uh, sexual relationships and money and occupation and working in the world and a home, connect that with Krishna. Right now you want to be quiet, you want to withdraw, you want to uh, go away from society, 
you want to retire, from, you want to some detachment from the family, from money, connect that with Krishna. Now you want to focus only on preparing for death. Your, your consciousness has now come to preparing for death. So connect that with Krishna. And that is what differentiates the ashrams from the normal life cycle that happens anyway. And the varnas are that during your youthful time, you need to make money, you want to maintain yourselves, you want to contribute to the good of the world. Do that in relationship to God. Do that in relationship to the universal form. And why are there cycles at all? Why are there differences at all? That's basically because of our material desires. So because we have various desires, they're fulfilled in different bodies, they're fulfilled in different phases of the body, they're fulfilled in different occupations. And the purpose of having a system of varna and ashram is to take those material desires which come in phases and times and connect them to the Lord's universal body. Anybody else? We, we read about King Bharat, who was an ideal king. The same time, though, he may appear to have been entangled in material life. We read that at the end, uh, in his youth, Jahai, Jahai Malabat, Uttam Shloka Lala Sahai, he walked away from everything just like it was stole. Uh, I had kind of thought that was similar, I guess, maybe I don't remember, but you seem to indicate that that wasn't the same with King Parikit, that you were indicating that he, Krishna made some arrangement because he was becoming entangled, and that was all part of what was done, the curse of Srini. Uh, I don't recall that. Mm-hmm. Well, if you go back and look in, uh, I think it's chapter 18 of the first canto, it's very much described like that. Okay. I'm going to go back. It's nice. I, I I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in chapter 18 of the first canto. Okay. Thank you. If you, if you don't find it there, ask me next time. I'll look it up. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to look for it because I was I, somehow I, I had always thought that he was you know the, the ideal perfect king, pure devotee. And, well, he was. <laughs> I mean, it depends on how one wants to look at things. Uh, Prabhupada specifically says that he had become entangled and that this was Krishna's way of untangling him. Uh, it, it, what seems to be the case in many personalities in the Bhagavatam is they have a service to the Lord that, you know, for most of us conditioned souls, we, become, we enter the Grahasta Ashram and we engage in a Varna because we have to have that kind of support for our spiritual life. We're not able to just immediately live as a renunciate. And I think we've seen the truth of this in our Hare Krishna movement. What, like, was 80% of those who took sannyas weren't able to maintain it. So that it's, it's just a fact that most people require the Grahasta Ashram and Avarna. In fact, Bhaktivinoda Thakur really preached against the renounced ashrams entirely. He really encouraged people to become grahastas and have an occupation. And Prabhupada also would say that this was the safest ashram, at least during one's youthful life. And even, frankly, for most people, when they take vanaprastha, they take vanaprastha with their spouse. Uh, they're not, they don't necessarily take up the sannyas ashram. But most of us are doing that out of necessity. 
Then you have the great devotees who do that not out of their own necessity, not out of their own need for it, but because there's service to be done. So Krishna wants devotees as kings, as teachers, as entertainers, as business persons. He, he wants that. He wants the world run by devotees. And certainly he's happy if the sadhana devotees, if the mixed devotees are doing those jobs as a service and for their own purification. At the same time, he likes it when the already pure devotees are engaged in those things. Uh, first of all, they're, they're going to do it better because they're completely pure. And second of all, then they're setting an example for those who are becoming pure. So if someone who's a sadhana devotee and in the grahasta ashram, if they look at a nitya devotee uh, like Bhaktivinoda Thakur, okay, how did he do a job? How did he run his family? Then they get some idea of how can I do it in my position. And therefore Krishna puts both the aspiring devotees and the already achieved devotees in these positions. So when those who are already pure, when they're in those positions, then there's a time of ending. Krishna says, okay, this service is done. Uh, now you need to show another example. You need to show an example of renunciation. And we think of, you know, the Pandavas. And then their, their potencies are changed. Like it says, Arjuna's potency of stringing bows and shooting arrows, it was gone when he became a Vanaprastha because he didn't need it in his Vanaprastha life. It was no longer his service to do. And that will happen to the sadhana devotees too. And then you have people like, say, Dhruva Maharaj. So Dhruva Maharaj achieved perfection through sadhana. Rupa Goswami talks about him as one of the four kinds of neophyte devotees when he's praying to the Lord initially. And we find that Dhruva Maharaj, although he sees the Lord and he's assured of perfection, uh, still uh, he becomes bewildered when he's fighting with the Yakshas and he has to be corrected. So the, de the devotees on the sadhana path, even if very pure and assured of, of perfection, so they may also need to be corrected. They may need to be pushed. They may need to be uh, unentangled. They're doing their work as both a service and because of their own need. And at a certain time, that may no longer be necessary. They may not need it anymore. And so it may not be appropriate for them anymore. And for the pure devotees, Krishna is working with them because their service has changed. So it's, it looks essentially the same, but the difference may be a little, a little bit uh, subtle depending on why one is in that position. Is one in that position because one's a gross materialist, because one's a mixed devotee, because one's a pure devotee? And how Krishna changes, it may be just an internal mood that you just say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm ready. I'm done. This service is done. It's over. I, I can move on. But unfortunately, if one becomes attached in the course of doing one's service on a material level, so, so a little bit more push may be needed. And sometimes Krishna gives a little push, not because the person is attached, but so others will not criticize so others will not say, oh, this person walked away from their responsibility. So he may set up a situation where everyone will look at it from the outside and say, well, no wonder, you know, he went on to, or she went on to a new phase of life. It had become impossible for them. I hope that answers your question. Oh, that's nice. Thank you very much. Thunderbats, uh, Irma Didi. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Great class. Uh, 
I've always had a problem with the universal form in its literal sense, you know, the way it's described the first time by Sukadev and Bhagavatam, trees his hairs on his body, mountains his piles of his bones. And so you mentioned seeing everything as the body of the Lord, but it seemed like the way you were approaching it was more in the line where, uh, I think if I heard correctly, Jiva Goswami says it's mainly about Paramatma. Uh-huh. And, and so I'm also getting this uh, idea with the material energy that um, it can be ACDC, you know, it's not false. So you see things separately from Krishna, it's material. If you connect things with Krishna, it's spiritual. And in even uh, to the point where someone like Srila Prabhupada's utilizing cars, airplanes, he was challenged on that. And he was... You know, he came back and I'm coming, I'm using these things to come to give you Krishna, to spread the glories of the Lord. So then everything he's he's coming into contact is becoming spiritualized. Yes. Yes. So I would like to hear a little bit more about Jiva Goswami's uh, Paramatma, if, if I heard it correctly. Um, you know, because that, that's the way I can connect things with Krishna is, is like, in a lot of your class was like that, that uh, you can see your any your given situation favorably, unfavorably, but we want to see Krishna in the background and everything. Yes. Yes. So what Could exactly you do you want to know more of? This, uh, you mentioned that you're dealing with two commentaries, Vishwanath and Jiva Goswami. Yes. And Vishwanath seems to be more talking about the universal form as the elements, whereas uh, Jiva Goswami was more uh, uh, talking about Paramatma. No, Vishwanath Jagavati Thakur also. He says, uh, entering while holding Prakriti means that first he entered the elements by his energy causing cohesion, and then after a thousand years he entered the elements as Paramatma. So, uh, it seems that Vishnu Chakravati Thakur is talking primarily about Paramatma. He starts his commentary with the sixth chapter describes how when the Paramatma enters, the universal form appears along with the elements. So he's putting both together. When the Paramatma enters, then we have the universal form. And this reminds us, of course, in the Bhagavatam, where it says that all of the different demigods enter with their sense objects into the universal form, but they cannot awaken the great cosmic being and only when the Paramatma enters, then does the, the cosmic being awakens. Um, Jiva Goswami talks about whether or not the material world is a hallucination, whether or not the world is able to create itself. He talks about those two misconceptions, the world is as false, as entirely false, and whether it's self-created. And he says that the Lord as Paramatma uh, is, is what's making the material world real, and he doesn't seem to distinguish in his commentary between the universal form and the Paramatma. He's just saying the cause of all we see and identify with is Paramatma, and he brought everything together, and all the material elements are the body of the Lord. So I think both Jiva Goswami and Vishnar Chakravati Thakur are making a very similar point, that every, all the material elements are the Lord's body, and what makes these material elements alive is the existence of the Lord as Paramatma. The, the universe is just like I have my body and I am the, the over-soul in my body. There's many souls in my body. I mean, each of the cells in my body 
uh, is a soul. There's so many, you know, living, it's alive. My heart is alive. I mean, my heart can be transplanted to someone else. It can remain alive after I've left this body. The various organs of my body retain their, their life independently for a short time after I've left. And then what to speak of all the living entities that are not exactly part of my body but exist in a symbiotic relationship with me. You know, just like I, I usually take these things called probiotics. So probiotics are living entities. They're alive. They're different bacteria that exist naturally in our, in our gut, in our small and large intestine. And they work symbiotically with us to digest our food. If you don't have these bacteria in your body, then it won't work properly. And then I have, of course, uh, parasitical entities in my body. I have different yeasts and bad bacteria, right, that if, if the balance gets off, then I become sick. So there are all these living entities living in my body, and they're not conscious, I would assume, they're not conscious of me. They're not aware that they're living in a body. <laughs> you know, the, the little microbes in my intestines, they don't know that they're living inside of a body. And they're not aware of my existence in the body, that I'm the overlord of this body, and I'm directing the body. They don't know who's feeding them, right? All the little entities in my digestive tract they don't understand that I'm the one picking up food with my hand and putting it into my mouth. They just, oh, here's food, <laughs> you know, here, here's water, here's nutrients. And at one point, all of that will stop when I leave this body, right? All of a sudden, there won't be any supply coming down from in the bloodstream anymore. And then they will also die. Uh, they will have to relocate when, when I relocate. Just like the when a business closes, the boss of the business moves, you know, closes the business. I have a friend in publishing who says, "I'm ready to retire. I'm ready to close my publishing company and move on to something else." So you know, when he closes his publishing company, all the employees they're out of a job. So in a very similar way, this whole universe is the Lord's body. Sometimes the universe is said to be the body of Lord Brahma. So. Just like Kshetra Jam Chapi Mam Vidhi Sarvik Kshetra Ekju Bharata Kshetra Kshetra Gayor Gyanam Yatej Gyanam Akamama I am the oversoul in this body of all of the souls. But there's also another oversoul over me. So there's another owner of the body. This field is not only my field. I'm, I'm really a, a tenant. I'm not an owner. So I'm just like in my room here. So I have a room here in my son's house. So it's not my house, it's his house. I have a room. And in this room, there are so many living entities. There's lots and lots of geckos. I've got one looking at me right now from my bookcase. I don't think he gets any benefit from hanging out with the Bhagavatams on my bookcase. I don't know. But anyway, uh, pretty much every morning, the geckos come out of my bookcase and, and look at me. And when I go to get a drink of water from the sink, they scurry around and, and so forth. And if I moved out, there would be no water here for them. There'd be no way for them to live. So I'm the owner of the room, and in the room are so many other living entities who are profiting from my being here. But then there's another owner. My, my son is the owner, and above him, of course, is the government, and above him is God. So in the, universe, the universal body, the main soul of the universal body is Brahma. 
and all of the planets and all the living entities are in his body. We're within Lord Brahma's body. He is the soul of this body. And that's why when he takes a nap, there's all sorts of destruction. When he goes to sleep for the night, there's a much bigger destruction. I mean, when I go to sleep, there's, there's a destruction for my senses. My, my senses can no longer interact with their sense objects. Everything slows down. My breathing, my heart rate, you know, or my temperature goes down. And then also in the body, is in the universal body, there is the supreme soul. There is the paramatma. So I have the paramatma in my heart. And then the paramatma, as Sri Dr. Shai Vishnu, is the oversoul of Brahma in the universal body. Then in addition to that, the universal body itself, plus all the souls within it, whether it's Brahma or as me or as the microbes or as the geckos, we're, we're all the energy of the Lord and the expansion of the Lord. So in one sense, everything is the Lord. So I have a Brahma. There really isn't any duality. And yet he manifests all this variety for enjoyment and for the fulfillment of the desire of a living entity. That's a long explanation, but does it serve her, or do you, would you like something else? No, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I, I appreciate, and I tell the Radhana, you know, you're articulate, and, and you can expand on things, and it's uh, very, uh, I appreciate that, that uh, you're able to do that. I, I like the uh, the explanation of the uh, probiotics and the parasites. Well, that's what we are. You know? Friends and en- friends and enemies, all the way down to the biological level. Yeah, and it's the same <laughs> thing. We're in Lord Brahma's body, and and I a probiotic or a parasite? You know, what am I? Am I, am I really, am I part of Lord Brahma's body, like, you know, lung tissue, heart tissue? Am I part of Lord Brahma's body in a symbiotic relate? I mean, you know, I've got the cells that are part of my body. They're, they're intrinsically part of my body. They are my body. My, my heart cells, my brain cells, my skin cells, my lung cells. They're actually part of the functioning of the body. Then I have the probiotics, which are, they're not really part of my body, but we have a symbiotic relationship. They help me, I help them. And then I have the, the nasty guys, the yeasts and the, the bad bacteria, which exist in my body. And as long as, you know, my body tolerates a certain percentage of them. Um, it, it's with, it, when, if they stay within a certain percentage, my body can still function with optimal health. But I, the balance has to be kept very carefully. So within Lord Brahma's universal body, there are the entities who are acting as fully parts of the body. They are acting as the universal heart and lungs and stomachs and, and skin cells of the body. They're fully integrated with the function of the Lord's universal form. And these persons are mostly the administrative demigods or the very pious or the pure living entities in various positions, the sages, the great devotees. They're really, they're keeping the body functioning. They are the body. Uh, I Krishna says, my devotees are my very self. And then you have the pious people who, you know, they, they worship God, but they're really in it for themselves. So those are like the probiotics. They're not really part of the body. 
they're separate entities uh, and they have their own purposes but they also serve the purposes and they keep the body healthy so they're they're like the karmis and then you have the v-karmis you have the demons so the universe can accommodate some demons the, the creation is also made to facilitate the demons but if the demons become too numerous and they start overcoming the the karmis or what to speak of if they start to become a cancer in the in the actual organs then then the lord incarnates or his devotees come into this universal body and they increase the number of the devotees increase the lord himself to again restore the balance and keep the demons to a very small number we can make a movie of this huh Sounds great. Yeah, I think that would make a great video. Yeah, it would make a great movie, you know, the, the body is, the universe is the body of the Lord, and the, the demons is the candida yeast, and the pious people is the probiotics, and the demigods and the great devotees is the heart and lung tissue. There you go. Anybody else? Okay, thank you very much. Shri Prabhupada Ki Jai. Jai.